0: It is Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. Welcome to an all new live edition of the Carolina Weather Group. We are looking back at the historic flooding and tornadoes that impacted so much of the Carolinas just a week ago as Tropical Depression Fred came on through. We welcome in your live questions and comments to tonight's conversation by using the chat functionality right now. If you're joining us on Facebook, YouTube, or the Carolina Weather Net and of course, if you are listening on our audio podcast later on, we welcome you in as well. Introducing our panel and our guests this week, we have Evan Fisher and Scotty Powell from Carolina Weather Group. Evan is in Asheville. Scotty Powell is in the foothills of Western North Carolina and Morganton. From WCNC in Charlotte, we have Chris Mulcahy, and we have Jason Boyer in Asheville at WLOS. Uh, Jason, let's start right with you. Your television station is right there in Asheville. There was no area harder hit last week with all of this rain and flooding than Western North Carolina. Uh, If you could just bring our viewers and our listeners up to date a week later on where the recovery stands for all of us
1: yeah the recovery uh, started of course right after the rain started letting up we had major flooding catastrophic flooding on the pigeon river which was an area through haywood county that was hit hardest around canton and crusoe and after the floodwaters receded which actually happened that night into the morning uh the cleanup began uh, restoration if you will of some of the properties but uh, so much damage obviously to clean up and it took Well, it's been over a week now and essentially they're still cleaning up in a lot of areas. So what I've seen most recently is um, pretty much just debris on the sides of streets, certainly more mud to clean off the streets in some locations, especially more of the rural locations affected and um, folks just trying to get their lives back in order. Unfortunately, many, many folks will um, forever be changed by this obviously you know even personally i was changed by it because it was the most extreme weather events uh that that have happened on my watch if you will in the last 12 years i've been here so um quite an event unfortunately a tragic event with five still uh of course we lost five lives and one still missing
0: yeah that's right and we're looking at some photos right now that uh were sent to us from a shot above this is in canton last week as you were mentioning along the pigeon river they are the epicenter, the the visual reference to what this flooding really means as we were watching stream gauges on our Carolina Weather Group live coverage crest at nearly 20 feet. These photos really show the impact of what that means. Uh, Jason, let me ask you, you mentioned a moment ago, the impact that you felt as a communicator, as um, a lifeline for folks, as they were tuning in for information. What What is that like for somebody on the studio side of things when all of this is playing out?
1: Well, we were gathering so much information and trying to get as much as we could out to our audience. Um, We on top of that had to cover tornado warnings. So the flash flooding was not the initial, um, I guess, engagement. At first, we were talking tornado warnings because those happened uh, very quickly in the afternoon hours, starting around 12, one o'clock, we had our first tornado warning come out for my uh, market, my television market, and that was in the upstate of South Carolina. And then just one after another, they kept coming. Uh, The flash flood warnings were issued prior to that in some of the counties like Transylvania County, Haywood County. I believe jackson county had a flash flood warning out early in the day Uh, keep in mind we had a couple of heavy rain events leading up to this they weren't widespread but they were very localized and we already had flooding the day before that in the rosman area on the french broad river where uh, some folks locally uh, measured eight to ten inches of rain um, in about a seven hour period so it was an extreme event there that was highly localized Then on top of that, you had Fred coming in the day after. And of course, it just led to the the catastrophic flooding.
0: You mentioned all the tornado warnings. Here's a look at the perspective from National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg, which uh, just to give people context, just have jurisdiction of your area in western North Carolina, along with upstate South Carolina and as far east as the Charlotte metro area. 37 tornado warnings uh, in this tweet that Brad Panovich at WCNC put out later on that evening. I think there may have been one or two more across the Carolinas that came with the uh, the remnants of that line. Uh, the uh, governor of uh, North Carolina back out in Haywood and Bumpkin counties today, touring with residents and small business owners to continue to look at the recovery and the impact a week after these storms. Some new photos that his office uh, shared with us today. We do want to let people know that if you are a resident or a business and you are in need of assistance, there is a hotline in haywood county that's 828-356-2022 828-356-2022 is the number to call if you are in need of assistance as a haywood county resident or business owner Uh, jason i understand your station is also doing something starting tomorrow to help people in the community
1: that's right. It's called Hope for Haywood. And we are teaming up with the United Way to help raise funds to help in the relief efforts for Haywood County and those affected by the devastating floods. And so we'll have a team out there in the morning for our morning shows and another team out in the afternoon in Haywood County, uh, working with the news department and bringing live updates from that area. And uh, we'll have all the information, of course, online and on air so that folks can uh, donate.
0: We will look for that on uh, WLOS uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, we appreciate uh, all that you guys are doing. I mean, this is this is so much for your community. But as you were mentioning before, as uh, as a not only a professional in the area, but you guys live here. What what is that stress like for this for the staff to cover this and then have to go home and maybe clean up? property in your own lives.
1: Yeah. Well, I've had flooding at, at my house before and it wasn't related to any major flooding event, but just heavy rain. I live uh, closer to the Pisgah Ridge. I live in an area that is typically a very heavy rain uh, area of Southwest Buncombe County. So I've dealt with it personally, but nothing on the level that the folks obviously in Haywood County recently had to deal with. Most of the stories I've been hearing from people is just, they. it's hard to comprehend it until you see it. And even when you see it, it's just something that they, even in their careers, haven't experienced firsthand. And um, so when they come back, they're just, the eyes are wide open and and they're just talking to me and they're saying it is actual, you know, like a bomb went off almost. And they have no other way to describe it. And, and, you know, you see the video, you see the pictures on social media and on TV. And um, yeah, it's very hard to understand just how big of an impact this had and how quickly it went down, if you will. Um, we, We heard about the, The sound bikes, a wall of water came suddenly rushing down. And we we have theories on that. We don't know exactly what happened. There's no dam that broke. There's no levee that was breached. That's not the situation here. Uh, The East Fork Pigeon River is the headwaters of the Pigeon River. Uh, There's a West Fork and an East Fork, and they come off the Continental Divide. And essentially, so much rain fell in a concentrated area of Transylvania and Southern Haywood County that it just. It just saturated the ground, inundated that river um, and overwhelmed it quickly. So the theory is that there was debris, so much debris getting into the river that it just clogged it up and the pressure of the water just kept building. And eventually, whenever that break or several breaks eventually gave way, it just all came downstream.
0: Yeah, we're looking at a tweet you uh, put out last week, Jason, showing some of those radar estimated rainfall totals. Absolutely incredible numbers, and 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 video that um, our own Evan Fisher shot. Not in this exact location. This is in Fairview, but I just thought of it a moment ago because you mentioned some of the debris, and you can see some of it in your video, Evan. It looks like a maybe part of a tree that's going by here, and you know it, it's nature. But it's man-made things as well going down the river. Evan, what were things like the last couple days uh, in your neck of the woods?
2: Yeah, so we were somewhat blessed here in Fairview to only deal with some moderate flooding. We didn't deal with anything near what Canton and Crusoe uh, are going through. Out there, out in Canton and Crusoe, Haywood County, there's folks picking up the remnants of trailers, RVs, and homes that wash down the river. And here in Fairview, it was mostly trees and uh, more natural debris. Uh, But Jason, I wanted to to throw a question your way. WLOS, everyone from your team did an excellent job covering this and some of the the heartbreaking stories in the aftermath. It, It felt on my end like it took a little bit of time for everyone to realize the gravity of the situation up on the mountain in Crusoe. What was it like 12, 24, even 36 hours after the event as you were seeing new reports populate? Well, it was just more and more of a
1: grasp of how big the event really was. You know, we we knew the gauge was exceptionally high. We knew that it was at a record stage, um, a major flood stage. We kept reiterating, look, it's a catastrophic event. This is the wording the Weather Service is using. Um, And this is the first time that I've actually had to use that language, um, in terms of flash flood warning here in, in our mountains. Um, so you you emphasize it's a life threatening event. You hope people are, are making the move to higher ground. But then again, you also realize that people are already getting flooded and it's not likely they're watching, you know, they're not sitting in front of a TV. They can't look at their iPhones or their Androids, and they can't really make decisions from what you're telling them at that point, the people that are getting flooded. Um, so, the hope is that the message is just passed down the line and that everybody can get somewhere safely, more quickly. But we all know that in certain situations like this, it's just, there's nothing you can do besides tell people what's happening and that's about it. You know, it it just came so fast.
3: Jason, um, we are entering the the peak of tropical season and we know when we're seeing storms in the Gulf of Mexico and they kind of hit anywhere between the Florida Panhandle to Mississippi, Alabama, they always seem to find themselves around the Appalachian Mountains and we're on that dirtier side, that more active side. Um, As we go into the the peak of the season, I mean, this, this, you know, maybe not particularly if it happens again, but the threat of it is real. And I mean, we're looking at Invest 99L right now and the models have been all over the place and we've seen a shift uh, more towards Louisiana, Mississippi uh, today with that track and could actually be off to our our west again. And so I guess my question is, is there concern? What is the messaging like now? Hey, we need to pay attention to the tropics over the next six, eight weeks. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. This event was so unprecedented that anything beyond this event now for the rest of the season will get us on high alert. And certainly everybody's anxiety levels will be up a little higher than normal. Um, And I have people that will Facebook message me on a daily basis now from those areas affected. And even from some of the areas that didn't have major flooding, but they're worried already about me talking about heavy downpours tomorrow or the day after that. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? And you have to kind of bring it back to, to them and say, look, you know, the event that unfolded was like like we talk about a one in five hundred year, one in thousand year event, kind of the, the odds of it happening again before then were very slim. But now that we've had this event, now you've set the stage, as you mentioned, Scotty, for more flooding um, and the possibility of more uh, extreme flooding because of the the way the ground was so saturated but thankfully we've had some time to dry out a little bit and hopefully you know invest 99 l the fear is that it does come into the gulf the fear is that it comes right up through alabama or georgia and the fear is it comes at us again if that happens obviously we will have a major issue once again with flooding and possibly tornadoes so i think that Sometimes it takes events like this to, to wake people up in, in, in a sense, because flash flooding is always one of those things we talk about is it's the number one killer. Um, you may not realize that nobody thinks about that all right off the top of their head if they're not in the weather world and they don't know it off the top of their head. But the point is, flash flooding kills more people on an annual basis than any other weather disaster. We try to hammer that home. We try to hammer the fact that, you know, the safety protocols to get to higher ground. Uh, don't hesitate. Um, it just it doesn't always work you know, some people will, will not move. And and I know it's counterintuitive too. When you're having a, an event like this, it really didn't help that we had tornado warnings and we had big thunderstorms and you're telling people to get out of their house uh, when they feel most comfortable and safe in the house. So there's there's two messages going on and that was really difficult to communicate. We're trying to tell people to stay in their house, get to the lowest level of their home in the tornado-warned areas. At the same time, we're trying to tell people in flash flood areas to get out and go to higher ground. So mixed messages, I think some people just might've gotten confused and as best as we tried to communicate it.
0: Yeah. The, the advice there gets very tricky, um, from shelter or move or go. And, and I, Jason, it, it struck me before that in all of your career, you mentioned that this was the first time, if I heard you correctly, that you had a flash flood emergency with this catastrophic, amount of damage associated with it. And one of the things we started thinking about last week, but it felt premature, and you can tell me if it's still too premature, but what do you think the lasting legacy of this event is in the community?
1: Well, good question. I think that it's going to hopefully change the way people's mindset um, and approach will be to uh, other events like this. If there's a flash flood warning, they'll they'll certainly be more uh, likely to make the move to some safety. Um, I think that there will be different building codes possibly, you know, introduced. I think that they might um, find ways to move businesses further away from the water and the Pigeon River. Um, there's always the flood mitigation that uh, emergency management crews and uh, county emergency managers try to um, start and, and proceed with. We we talk about the Swan River, which often floods down here in Asheville, East Asheville. Um, it's just it's very costly to to divert the water and and to mitigate some of the flood damage so we'll see how that all goes and we're hopeful that this the governor will certainly continue to support us and we'll get the funding that we need to to get the county back on its feet and and maybe change the way things look down there and and for the better in terms of building codes and where places of business are
0: well, one last question, Jason, before I bring in um, Chris Mulcahy, from a communication standpoint, you mentioned at a certain point you had an expectation that people were away from the TV screen. What do you think the penetration was of, say, National Weather Service radio or wireless emergency alerts? Uh, if you were to give some feedback, I guess, on what worked and what didn't work in terms of reaching people where they were.
1: Yeah, this is solely based on anecdotal evidence. I don't have anything concrete from a poll or anything, but I will tell you this much. We... People that live here know that severe weather typically favors the upstate in terms of damaging wind, isolated tornadoes are, are stronger tornadoes. That is just the way it's set up. Um, and there's this false sense of security that I always address when I go talk to um, uh, s- civic clubs or church groups, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, schools, etc. cetera, that we are not immune to severe weather, obviously, in that kind of way. But our severe weather is either going to be more likely a flash flood, like we saw, or a major winter storm. And I think that because we haven't experienced the tornadic thunderstorm events that folks to the South have, I don't believe a lot of folks actually have NOAA weather radios here, um, to be honest with you. Um, I don't really see them often in uh, the pharmacies, uh, the grocery stores. I don't see kiosks or displays of them. I i don't believe many folks actually have them so that would be something that i i could certainly see improvement on and would emphasize but if they weren't at sitting in front of a tv or they didn't have their phone on them i really truly don't know how else they're going to get the message um unless somebody's you know up the road listening and they call them on their phone or um it's it's a difficult situation especially when people are already out of their house or are dealing with flooding in the home and they're they're focused on getting that water out or stopping the water from coming in so
2: it's very difficult for them to to really focus on anything else i think another tricky part of this as well jason is that several of the people who perished uh, i believe four died in laurel banks campground up in crusoe that's you're getting into some rural country up there, and it's quite likely that they didn't have uh, any connection to uh, to TV to watch WLOS. And like you said, with, without having widespread usage of no-weather radios, they were completely without any means of communication uh, or, or receiving uh, severe weather alerts. Uh, that, that's a horrible combination. We never want to see it go through anywhere, but especially in that back country area, a uh, campground, folks in RVs, um, that, that's quite
1: dangerous for them. Yeah, we go camping a lot I take my family to local campgrounds and there's always water nearby. There's a creek, there's the river or something and the kids play in it. And I look at it and I always think in the back of my head, boy, that's a flash flood waiting to happen. And you know, it, it's just a matter of time before it happens again, unfortunately. Um, so the emphasis will be to communicate with people that heed the warning. And even if you have any he- sense of hesitancy, get away, move, go somewhere. Um, I, and it's difficult because driving the roads down in that holler in that valley navigating the roads when it's pouring rain like that it's dangerous so you you have that option of saying well get on the road and then here we are telling people to stay home <laughs> and hunker down so there's this this mixed uh, kind of emotional feeling going on
4: yeah and the one message that i think we all can agree here is that you had asked jason is what do you want people to take from this but this is something that we almost see year after year so what's the coincidence is you were saying about that most of the deaths and the people that perished from this incident were in a campground well if you remember just last year it was november like look at how late into the season it went we had hurricane ada that made landfall to our south, and then we had a hidden night campground event where 30 people were rescued and two people and even a one-year-old and i was personally there and that When I was looking at that, I was like, where have I seen this before? That's the event that I can compare to that. But both of them were tropical systems that as soon as they make landfall, people are like, okay, we're done. But it always is usually a state in that gets the worst as far as some of the tornadoes because you get that friction. It starts turning into a better example for more of those spin-up tornadoes or just one line of those thunderstorms one after another where you just have that excessive flooding. So, yeah. You've now seen it, Jason, and we just saw it here locally last year. When these systems move inland, that's where people in the Carolinas, doesn't matter if it makes landfall in Wilmington or in Georgia, depending where those outer bands can set up, you have any one of these scenarios.
3: Yeah, I would like to, uh, uh, you know, just uh, put that point out there that, you know, you don't have to live on the coast to have the effects. I mean, Jason – We've seen it over the years. I think it was 2004 where we had back-to-back tropical systems move out of the, the Gulf and we saw extreme flooding then. And um, you don't have to live on the coast in the Carolinas to be affected by these. Flash flooding, uh, as Jason and Chris just talked about, and also that severe weather threat. So you should you know, pay attention, no matter if you're on the coast or if, even inland. You need to pay attention uh, when any of these tropical systems are in the area.
1: Absolutely. And I think this, this will be looked back upon as not to take away, but if you, if you said the flooding didn't happen in Crusoe and the Pigeon River didn't do what it did, it probably would have been a more of a typical tropical system. If, if you look at it that way, because in the past we've had flooding um, and it's usually the bigger rivers that would flood and it it would do some damage. And, but the, the catastrophic category is just Something that got to me, you know, to see the damage and actually witness it. And then then about a week later, a little less, or you had the the middle Tennessee flooding and and you saw that. You thought it's just like I'm living the dream or the nightmare over again. It was happening again, but different scenario, obviously.
0: So, yeah, another heartbreaking flooding example you're referencing there in Tennessee. And the thing that was really striking to me last week was I'm going to put it in air quotes. This is just a tropical depression. Yeah. And I think people internally and externally to the weather community sometimes put a lot of emphasis on these different categorizations. But I like if this is what a depression can do. Yeah. Then we need to remember this for the next time. Jason, I know you have a newscast coming up in a few minutes. Uh, Can you tell us one more time? How folks can get involved with the effort your station's kicking off tomorrow
1: that's right so wlos is going to be teaming up with united way in haywood county we're going to have teams of reporters out there and camera crews and we're going to be working with them to help raise money to help in the relief efforts uh, for the folks out there and uh you can always go online to wlos.com and it's hope for haywood and we will certainly look forward to uh, your donation and if you can help us out that'd be great and uh we'll raise some money and and help more folks out that's the idea
0: jason we appreciate your efforts at the station and uh best to the community thank you for your time tonight
1: hey thanks guys have a great evening
0: and uh, we'll turn now to chris mulcahy uh joining us from wcnc in charlotte and and chris the the charlotte dma wasn't uh absent when it came to the flooding but For our neck of the woods, the I-77 corridor, it was way more about the tornadoes. We have a piece of video that we'll play for folks in just a moment, but maybe just set the stage for folks who don't know the difference between what Asheville saw versus versus what Charlotte saw. And when I say Charlotte, I mean Charlotte, I mean Hickory, I mean Boone and Blowing Rock, that kind of whole slice of uh, the Carolina.
4: Well, uh, well, first off, it's a day that so many people remember just most likely from the notifications that came across their phone. So just from the National Weather Service, GSP, 37 tornado warnings. And the first one actually started in Iredell County, moving into Alexander County, and that happened before noon. So that one was on its own. That kind of set the stage where Brad and Larry were live on air that wow, it's already starting, because it's usually those outer bands, they'll interact just like what we have with thunderstorms any day. You hit the peak heating of the day, it starts becoming more unstable, and then you just have enough lift that you're going to have a lot more showers and thunderstorms. For us, we saw really more warnings than any damage reports. Most of the tornado reports were southwest of us. Just before it got to the area, it was kind of a blessing for us that it was that time of the day that we didn't have as much instability, but it's that one in... Northern Iredell County, right around Statesville that moved into Alexander, that was different than the rest, because typically when you have these systems, you have the QLCS, the spin-up tornadoes, or Brad uses says little kink in the storm. This was an actual supercell so this was on the ground a lot longer than any of the other storms were so that one was kind of a surprise but also shows you how far it was from the outer bands just the moisture and everything this pulls in along with the wind shear that allows for that where we are lucky that we had that many tornado warnings and a lot more damage reports didn't come to fruition luckily where most of the tornadoes were at least southwest of us wasn't really a populated area that there could have been more activity and damage. They just were in open fields.
0: I thought Jason mentioned it fairly well when he said the tornado warnings is what draws a lot of attention. But then we sometimes, and royal we as human beings, disregard the severe thunderstorm warnings and the flash flood warnings of the world. And we shouldn't always do that because this is this is what these could mean when we when we look at some of those pictures from Western North Carolina. Uh, And that's why I do think those photos from a shot above, those aerial photos of Canton, speak a thousand words. Um, Now, the tornado you're speaking of, uh, Chris, uh, was actually also one that was captured on Twitter video uh, from Brandon Pope. And you can see it here in Iredale County. And this ended up being rated an EF1 by the National Weather Service. And, and this was essentially what kicked us off in the Charlotte area, the upstate of South Carolina, western North Carolina had already had some tornado warnings. But this is kind of what got things going uh, for for viewers and residents of the broader Charlotte metro reason, region. Um, Chris, you had a chance to meet up with the National Weather Service the following day in in Iredale County. And you're going to give us a little bit of an insight here into how the Weather Service does their after storm, storm surveys. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything before we go to this uh, particular piece of video, or if I should just go ahead and uh, toss right to uh, the tape.
4: I will say one thing, I was very surprised that it was Trisha Palmer who uh, came out to it, where I didn't know that she went out and surveyed, but this is one of the higher-ups at the local weather office, so when she was there, she was there for a reason, because this obviously was one that separated from all the rest, but even as meteorologists, weather enthusiasts, whatever you are, you can always learn something from other people. And I will say I learned a lot from just being on the ground here with Trisha. Last afternoon on Tuesday, a tornado officially touched down here in Iredell County producing damage just like this multiple trees down all over the place and that path continued into Alexander County. This is one of the first tornado warnings of many for the day. The GSB National Weather Service issued 36 tornado warnings yesterday. One of the first starting in Iredell County.
2: We want people to take tornado warnings seriously whenever they're issued.
4: Trisha Palmer with the National Weather Service was the surveyor for this tornado. It
2: was induced by the tropical environment. They're hard to see. They're very difficult to warn on because they spin up so rapidly. They're very fast.
4: One of the telltale signs that wind damage is produced by a tornado is the different direction of trees or a convergent pattern. This damage was absolutely from a tornado, but Trisha is here to estimate the peak wind speed, path width, length, and duration.
2: I take the beginning point, the starting point of the damage, and then I follow the path all the way through to the ending point, and then the folks at the office then make that measurement.
4: Dozens of trees were either uprooted or snapped. Fences were blown over or blown out, and one house received structural damage from a fallen tree. The tornado likely spawned as an EF zero, but grew in strength.
2: With a weaker tornado, You're going to see the tree snap toward the top, or you'll just see the whole tree just uprooted. Whereas if you see the tree actually snap towards the bottom, that's a slightly stronger tornado.
4: The damage could have been a lot worse, but most importantly, no one was injured. With WCNC Charlotte, I'm meteorologist Chris Mulcahy. And
0: Chris, I'm glad that WCNC let us share that video because it really helps us understand as as the public and as podcast hosts what happens on these storm surveys, what the Weather Service is doing, and what they're looking for. So thank you for that expl- explanation. And I guess ultimately it was a lot of the tree damage, if I understand, that helped them recreate and understand what this tornado really was doing.
4: And what was really neat is that friction is a tornado's worst enemy. It, it doesn't like it, and friction can come from flapping into trees. So what was happening with this survey? The first spot that we arrived at, and if you just watched that video, where the fence was blown out and there was a little bit of roof damage, it touched down in an open field. And that was the one trend that you could see. It wasn't on the ground for the entirety of 5.1 miles that was reported. It was still one general system. It has to lift back up and not produce any damage for a certain amount of time for it to be a whole new storm. But what would happen is when it would drop down the open field, it came past that one house, it blew out a fence, and then you could see the path and the trees where it lifted back up. Well, once we drove up the road, you could see on the other side of the trees was another cornfield. That's where it touched down. And at that point, it got stronger. You could definitely see that it had a much better strength. It was dropping a lot more trees at that point. And you saw the tops of the trees, as Trisha had mentioned. And she described this perfectly. Picture it like you have a toothpick. It's very easy just to knock off the top. just just quickly with the finger. But it takes a little bit more force if you're down in the middle of it. So picture that like a tree. So once you see the middle of the trees lopped off, as we just saw at the end of that story, that's where you're getting into EF1 strength. So EF0, 65 to 85 miles per hour. Above that mark, well, we're at EF1. This is a very strong EF1 tornado. And the reason why this one was a little bit stronger is just because it was on the ground for so long. And those images that you saw were shortly after the damage that we saw in an open field. So that picked up all that dust that was circulating around. But it was really interesting that each time it truly dropped down in an open field, it was getting stronger and stronger. And then once it went through those trees, on the other side of that was the house damage. And the house was incredibly lucky just because it did, looks like it just started to lift up just as it went over the right side of the roof. So it was interesting to follow that loop, but this is not typical. Usually anything associated with a tropical storm is not going to be on the ground for as long as this one was. This was just an isolated event because it was indeed a supercell. Supercells have a longer track record than, say, a QLCS that typically is only on the ground for about a minute or two.
3: Yeah, I have a a piggyback of what Chris was talking about with those storm surveys. Um, I went with Trish, um, I think it was 2019, Uh, we had some tornadoes again in Alexander County, funny that we were mentioning that, and so I went out and and they, Chris, you can uh, vouch for this, they cut no corners, I mean, we literally walked out into a cow pasture and up a huge hill to look at the storm damage, so this is a, you know, a very hands-on Walk every stretch that you can possibly walk uh, to get the accurate path and to get the damage. So um, these uh, storm surveys are very uh, important as we try to determine. And Chris, one other thing I want to mention about that video: uh, normally these tropical tornadoes uh, are kind of ragged, but that was a that was a pretty wide tornado. I mean, it was it looked like something you might see in Dixie Alley there in, in early spring. So uh, pretty pretty big tornado there for the area.
4: Yeah, and, and that was also pretty neat for the radar imagery. It had the classic hook. You could, you could see the hook around it. This was a classic rain-wrapped tornado from a high-precipitation supercell. So that was also really neat because all the other ones, uh, quick reports that we're going to get to, weren't on the ground very much. But yeah, Alexander County got pelted from the last one. But my favorite thing that just said is if you're really into mysteries, that's exactly what a storm surveyor is all about. You're solving a mystery. And that's what she said is because you are really picking up clues. Because at the first site, we had no idea who did it with the candlestick at that point. But then the second site we went to, oh, it's got stronger here. The third site, it was truly extraordinary. And we first went to emergency management in Iredell County. They met us and then right on the border, alexander county emergency management was there waiting so they collected all the data all the different reports and it's a really cool cool thing so scotty i'm glad that you got that opportunity that's the first full one i got to go on and it was awesome
3: yeah they're really really neat you get to meet the people and hear their story too you get to you know that you they'll tell you this is what i experienced and um Thankfully, um, no injuries or anything like that with these tornadoes. uh, James, I know there's several others in South Carolina as well. This
0: is Stony Point in North Carolina, an EF1 tornado with peak winds of 110 miles an hour. This one on the ground uh, for about five miles, the official storm survey for what Chris was uh, surveying. Some of the shorter ones that were elsewhere across the Carolinas was this EF0 Uh, with winds of 75 miles an hour, but again, on the ground for just over a 10th of a mile with a max width of 50 yards. Uh, Another one on the ground for 10th of the mile in Pennington, South Carolina. And uh, you can see, uh, again, how some of these really are so short. Uh, And Fountain Inn in South Carolina as well. This one a little bit longer, uh, about a mile and a half or so. But again, I want to talk about these were on the ground so quickly by the time they saw many of these on radar and got a warning out. It's it's fast. You got to see it. You got to warn for it. Then on our side, you got to receive it and get to shelter. Right. And then you got to do this very quickly. You should always be doing this very quickly, but especially in these tropical setups. And I will just say, Chris, that Iredale one that you went to, if I recall the radar signature correctly, I mean, we could see it on CC and they, they put the confirmed tag on that warning. Uh, obviously, people had eyeballs on it, which we later learned, but at the time, I think it was that CC data that made them go, yeah, this is definitely
4: happening. Yeah. Well, uh, really, before we got any further, and I've never seen it really pop up that quick, it's usually, oh, tornado report, possibility. It's like, no, tornado on the ground, this was a tornado. The the verbiage is usually, we're going to see if it was a tornado. No, Trish, the whole time, how strong was this tornado? Straight up. And uh. Uh, as we were mentioning, a typical tropical storm type of setup like this usually only has spin-up tornadoes, Where that first one, less than a minute. Second one, less than a minute. But notice how the correlation of the damage goes. The ones that are only on, a, uh, on the ground for about a minute are about 70-75. That one that was over a mile that was on the ground for three minutes, now you're talking about EF1. And by the way, any time with the system, EF zero, EF one. That's pretty much usually all you get. When you get up to EF two, that's an anomaly. So we're, we're lucky that there wasn't a lot more with this. But this also brings up another discussion: is a lot of times with this an event, a type of event, there'll be a severe thunderstorm warning with a tornado tag. Now it's almost would it have better better off. But I think what they're just doing is because a lot of times for mul- multiple warnings, they went on for 15 minutes, but the tornado was already done. So I think that really what needs to happen for a lot of these different events, I think people take a tornado warning more seriously. When you have a severe weather line in this type of scenario, and I'll really try to hammer this home, the next tropical system, and it's not if we, when we get our next tropical system like this, of when you see this line, it can happen just like that. Just because the tornado warning is there, it could re-spin back up, but it's usually the first couple of minutes of that morning that uh, warning that something's happening.
0: Chris, we appreciate uh, the coverage that everyone provided on this day. It was a very long day of, of tornado warnings, starting with this one in the Charlotte area and, and ones earlier elsewhere for other communicators. Scotty Powell's finger went up in the air, Scotty. I,
3: I have to add, we also have to remember we had an earthquake that morning. So it was like everything out. everything happened that day. <laughs> That's
0: right. And not that I want to belabor this point, Scotty wasn't home for any of it.
3: No, I missed it all. I missed it all. And the earthquake was a mile. Epicenter was a mile from my house. Like, I I, I just, I was I was shocked when I saw the earthquake. And then I saw the tornado warnings. And then I seen the flash flooding. And I was like, what's what's going to happen next? I mean, oh, what a what a good time okay. to be in Texas. You know, I, I didn't, I, it was hot. It was like 93 out there. So
4: I didn't well, we, we got about that all week here just to throw in a Charlotte forecast. We were. Was-
0: So I was going to ask you about that before we go, Chris. uh, Some weather today, three wind damage reports in from Gaston in Lincoln County. And uh, you and I were watching this earlier. um, And I wanted to show your circle. Uh, Please. Nerd nerd out with us, if you will. Yeah. Holy outflow. That's right. Uh, Can you explain to folks who aren't familiar with outflow on radar? Why you've circled this particular location?
4: Sure. Uh, So, I get geeked out whenever I see this. So any thunderstorm, when it rains, the cooler air from the center of that storm rushes down, and then it creates a little gust front, a little mini cold front, if you will. And that often is what you first feel. You said, wow, it's stormy. That gust of wind that comes, that's the outflow boundary. But when that's rushing by, that drives in to that hot and humid air. So what you were seeing, bringing up that circle again, is those little green lines that were moving into that circle those were all outflow boundaries from separate thunderstorms that's how the thunderstorm that formed in gaston county formed, and then the circulation from that eventually was the final blow to form that and It was just minutes after this, this formed a brand new line, just like the one in Gaston County did as well. So whenever you see this, I get super geeked out because you can see those thin, thin lines, the radar barely picks up on it. I just turned up the filter ever so slightly so you can see them more. That's what we look for. And this happens all the time in the Charlotte area. So outflow boundaries can often just drive into each other, but sometimes when you have colliding storms, it can cause them spin up, but luckily that was not the case. But yeah. Crazy situation there. And also, sometimes when you have all these different outflows heading in from different directions, it'll allow a storm just to sit. kind of gets confused. And I was like, what way should I go? And eventually, it finds its direction. And that's what happened in a southern Gaston County. They only saw about two to three inches of rain, so nothing comparatively to what we were talking about. But it just shows how quick it can happen and pretty much what happens around here.
0: Very cool stuff. Uh, Remind folks, as uh, we begin to say goodnight to you, that uh, the Atlantic hurricane season quite active here in the end of August. Three perspective storms that the National Hurricane Center is keeping an eye on. And uh, here it is. It's been on the monitor behind Chris most of the night. It's uh, their historical peak of the hurricane season there in mid-September, about September 10th or so. And just a reminder that it is September next week, folks. So we are right about in here and coming into that statistical peak. And, guys, I would say the uh, the outlook from the Hurricane Center matches it. Uh,
3: James, as expected. I was uh, just serving on Twitter, and um, the Hurricane Hunters are going to be going out into the Caribbean Sea tomorrow to uh, fly into Invest 99. So, hopefully, uh, we'll get some better model agreement on that um, once that, that that data starts to flow in. But uh, definitely needs to be watched because it – I mean, you, you don't want to speculate on models this far out, but the potential is there for it to be a pretty big deal for somewhere in the Gulf Coast.
4: Hey, it's everything's going to Hurricane at this point. Just saying.
0: Just ask Henri. It was a week ago we were like, ah, it's just spinning out there near Bermuda. And what did we know? The next thing we know, it's making landfall in New England. It's canceling concerts in New York City.
4: Yeah. In five days. And th- that's really the time frame. It's uh, like right now, it, the timeline could be the next couple of days you don't hear too much. You could hear uh, tropical depression or tropical storms either Ida or Julian, we'll see. I think it's most likely going to be Ida at this point. But then once you get to the weekend, we could be talking about tropical storm to hurricane and maybe even rapid intensification. Because usually there's three things that will weaken it. It's going to be that dry air, the Saharan dust as we bring up, wind shear. Landfall technically four, but then you could also have the case and scenario. Well, those are the three, actually. That's what I was trying to get, or landfall. So you have all those that are going to be coming into place. The wind shear is going to lighten up. You're not going to have that dust area. And then also, water temperatures are near 90 before any of the possible landfall. So that's why I'm not one that's going to be shouting towards the rooftop. But for sure, this could become a major weather headline, and you're probably going to be hearing it in the next couple of days.
0: Chris, we will see you on TV tonight at 11 o'clock.
4: And I got talk about that. How about that?
3: <laughs> Great idea. Can we promote Chris's TikTok right quick? I mean, you got to go follow the man. Go follow him on TikTok. You Your got to. Man,
4: I appreciate it. Yeah, and there will be weather content. I did do some uh, TikTok tropics updates. So I, I promise it's not all shenanigans, but we also like to squeeze that in, in between tropical systems, right? <laughs>
3: I, I've got to ask a, a question, though yeah okay. i want to know about the kool-aid pickles how bad were they
4: oh okay so we had the kool-aid pickles we've done so many it's so far back now um <laughs> it, it was horrible so <laughs> your first, face your face said it was horrible <laughs> and i do i'm a grim human being i will try a lot of things that people should not try and i'm okay with it i like flat soda for instance but when you bit into it, it was sweet, and then a terrible evil pickle taste comes back in. Yeah, don't don't, don't do it. Don't I there, so. here's yeah. what this is one of them. This was uh pickles and maple syrup and pickles and peanut butter. I would pickle peanut butter sandwich all day long. That was great.
3: If you watch the video of Chris doing the Kool-Aid pickles, like you can see where he's talking about the sour part because Chris, your face is like it is like bit into a lemon or something. It's like, oh,
4: the jaw locks up right here. So see, that's the thing. Uh, we Weather's number one, but then just having a good time is uh, number two. And that's why I love getting in this group here. This is only my second time. I can't wait for number three, guys. They're looking forward Ooh. to it, Chris.
3: We're uh, we're wanting to do a WCNC team meeting uh, with
4: all okay. of you all. So. Yeah, we got two new characters. So heck yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. You want, do you want to just verbally introduce us to, to new colleagues before we let you go?
4: Uh, yeah, so we have uh, K.J. Jacobs. Um, he um, came here from the Norfolk market. And uh, we have uh, Brittany Van Vu. Uh, I'm so terrible with the name. Voo, I'm going to tell
0: her that you said it great. Yeah, I know.
4: I, I just freaked out. And we have Brittany that is uh, coming from uh, <laughs> Fort Myers. <laughs> Man, Boorace, 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 Boorace. There it is. We got it. Please, can we, this is all live, too, Des, So This is forever going to be it. there. There's,
0: there's no getting out of this.
4: Oh, uh, no, and I'm sharing in my Facebook page right now. Hopefully she doesn't watch. It's, J- it's, James,
3: it's James' fault, so we'll just blame him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> Should have teed that one up. Well, Chris, thank you so much uh, again for your time. We look forward to having you back on to the Carolina Weather Group uh, as soon as possible. And we'll uh, we'll watch for those tropical updates for you. And I guess we'll watch for the next edition of whatever you're going to decide to put on pickles.
4: Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, actually, it's going to be it's called Snickles. So stand by. Ooh, Snickers, Snickers and pickles. Uh, this one's going to be good.
2: No, all right, Evan is not pleased. I'm not. I haven't been pleased with any of it, but that sounds yeah. like probably <laughs> the worst one yet. <laughs> I'm not yeah. an adventurous eater. I'm I'm a little wimp. So
3: I have to say, oh Chris, you like the mustard and watermelon, correct? I mean, that, oh, was...
4: that one was terrible. No, no, because <laughs> it, it like I'm not I'm not even a big mustard person in general. And then you put it on the watermelon. Why? What are we doing? Oh, my, oh my goodness! Yeah, that that yeah. was showing my true colors. Yes.
3: Hey, I got feet that look like that too. So. <laughs> Team flip flops right
4: here. <laughs> I'd be wearing them uh, if I could.
3: I could. We could just do a,
0: we could do a whole episode on his TikTok. I'll just keep playing them.
4: There, there we go. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be back. Well, also maybe I shouldn't be here because I feel like I just derailed the end of this meeting. So I apologize. <laughs>
3: This is the fun part. This is where we that's get, fun. you know, we, we got the serious part out, and now we can have a little
4: fun. So well, that's all i have always have fun. <laughs> whoa, sorry about that. Always have fun with you guys. Thank Clearly, you. I can only talk up to 48 minutes, but I, I I appreciate it. Um, as I was giving shout out to you guys before, uh, both of you guys have helped me out some form since I've been here in the Carolinas with some sort of weather report. So keep it up, guys. It's uh, it's it's all you that really connect this Carolina weather group, right?
3: We like to see, we like to think so.
0: (laughs) I'm just going to leave it on that. I got, I can't, I can't (laughs) top that. I'll take that compliment and just say good night. Thank you, Chris. And uh, thank you to everyone watching and listening to this uh, edition of the Carolina weather group. Uh, We will be back uh, next week and you can always find us on social media or streaming anytime on the Carolina weather net. It's made for you. The Carolina weather fan, find it on YouTube. Just search Carolina weather group. It's on all the time. It's free. It's great. I sleep to it. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>